Welcome to the Nude Attitude, where we shatter the mirrored ceiling, worship our sexy selves, and talk about all things holy. This is a safe place where we will be throwing around confidence like confetti and applauding people flaunting their bodies no matter the size, color, gender, or ability. I'm your host, Madeline Gregg, and we're about to dive into the lady pond or whatever gender you prefer to sink into. So raise your glasses high and cheers to your slut side in this nude revolution. start with some icebreakers mm-hmm. um what's your name and what do you prefer to be called my name is leah webster and i go by leah what are your pronouns my pronouns are she and her and hers um what's your sexual orientation straight ish yeah. uh, what is your favorite position every single one of them all of the positions in the world what's <laughs> they all have their time and place they all have their time and place that's right <laughs> yeah um what's the last porn you watched I had to really think about the, that one because um 2021 vibes have not been giving me sexy vibes so um we are only a couple days into it so I'll give you that Don't yeah. <laughs> like, so far I'm just not not feeling it um yeah. <laughs> but it was probably something on like pink label tv or like something on fet life probably something on one of those they have porn on FetLife? Yeah. Okay, because I come to FetLife from like a work perspective because usually when I have somebody on for like BDSM or like a specific kink or something, I'll be like, okay, give me your FetLife so I can actually like fact check them and be like, what, you know? Yeah. Be an FBI agent basically. Right. Um, <laughs> but I've never like looked at it for like a fun purpose. <laughs> so I clicked over on that uh, explore link. There you go. There you have it. Interesting. Okay. Well, then. <laughs> you're welcome. What's the most amount of people you've had sex with at one time? Um, I'm just going to say that I've been to the orgy tent at Burning Man and then I'm just going to leave it at that. They have an orgy tent at Burning Man? Wait, I, maybe oh, yeah. I shouldn't try, but like, <laughs> we can talk about this later. <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> what do you think your most attractive feature is? Um, Probably, I really like my eyes. Uh, what feature do you struggle to love the most? Um, my thighs and knees. My knees are kind of like inverted and my mom like always had a whole lot to say about that growing up. So now it's I just have crazy. Like it's crazy how like the one like comments when you got when you were littler, they stick with you. Ever. Yeah. And like, it's not even the bullies that did it to you. It's like your mom. I, when I work with teens now, like anytime I hear a parent making any remark about my teen's body, I am just like, nope. <laughs> Shut the freak up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what feature do you notice in someone that you're attracted to first? Uh, probably their eye color. I don't know that I've ever seriously dated anyone other than someone who has had green eyes, which is like weird if I think about it, because that's weird, but. You have a type. That's fine. Yeah. Um, what, how do you unwind? 
Um, I mean, I guess the usual like yoga, meditation. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading about like how to combine mind, mindful movement and how to incorporate that into working with people who like struggle with sexual pain. Um, so I find learning relaxing. So I've <laughs> found that relaxing. It's fine. I mean, like I read about kinks and, you know, like <laughs> I open a book on, you know, like sexual trauma. So it's fine. Everybody right. has the thing. Yeah. Everyone has their thing. That's right. Yeah, everybody has a thing. <laughs> Okay, so I asked you on this podcast because you're a therapist, correct? I am indeed a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Okay, awesome. Um, and I specifically, how did you, how did you get into um, counseling? We'll start with that. Um, so I probably, I mean, I knew I wanted to go into counseling probably when I was around 16 when I took my first psychology class. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always deeply interested in understanding myself and like the people around me, especially people's motives and like why they behaved the way that they did. And like, especially why my family behaved the way that they did. So it just always felt like and normal psych classes always like get, get people. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a lot of people get really hyped about them. Um, and then I was just like, yeah, I think that I just like want to understand people forever. That's just what I want my job to be. And here I am. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So why couples counseling? I was 20 and in college and I was in a pretty seriously kind of like messed up relationship that had a lot of toxic emotional and sexual pieces to it. And that pretty much led me to want to pursue couples counseling. And then later on, like the sex therapy piece. Okay. Awesome. Um, so I asked you specifically on this podcast though, because you have a really interesting stance on like polyamory and non-monogamy, which I think is really good and insightful um, because usually the counselors that I've come across, you have the counselors that they hear polyamory or non-monogamy and they're just like, oh, I've never had a client who has had a good experience with that. And it's usually because they have clients coming to them who they feel like they've cheated on each other or they feel like um, they're coming to each other when things are starting to fall apart, but you have had a different experience with that. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I really don't know how it happened. It's really interesting. Um, So I absolutely love non-monogamy and I believe so many things in life exist on like a spectrum. And I think that being monogamous and non-monogamous is no different. And so, yeah, some therapists really do not like, quote unquote, believe in non-monogamy and they kind of like pathologize it as like an attachment issue. Um, But I personally just like don't think that all humans are meant to be monogamous by nature. And I think that became like a societal and religious thing somewhere along the line of evolution and Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not here for that. Yeah. We're not into that. We, we're not here for that statistically. Like we could do this all day long, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just interesting being a couples counselor and then being around so many other couples counselors that like, I totally respect what they do. And I understand, you know, so like the discernment counselors are especially like tend to, cause they're working on, they're working with people who are like discernment counseling is like, that's who you're going to when your relationship is like, about to end and you're trying to figure out like I have one foot out the door do I want to like step step away from this Um, and usually at that point there's like a lot of attachment wounds there's a lot of relationship wounds like shit has like really hit the fan you know so I guess I get their perspective when they're only seeing like all these really hurt people yeah absolutely so what are the different types of marriage and couples counseling oh my gosh there are so many so I'm just going to talk about like the three that people probably hear about the most yeah Um, And I'm assuming you're talking about like modalities or like theories. 
just like yeah basically because like I mean originally I mean I grew up in counseling not to flex or anything on like mental health um <laughs> Wait, what do you mean uh, what what do you mean Oh, just like I, I went to counseling from like a very young age, well, oh, not yeah. very young, but like I went to rehab. <laughs> so, yeah. So I feel like I, when I hear like marriage counseling or couples counseling, like I know a little bit like in depth, like there's different theories on it. There's different types of it. And like, you have to find your different types of counselors that like work in your, like the best way for you. But a lot of people just hear couples counseling or marriage counseling. And they're like, oh, that is, that's its own type of thing. And they're all work the same. And that's not true in the slightest, right? Totally. That is not true in the slightest. Um, yeah. So the ones that you hear the most about, so there's like, there's emotionally focused therapy, which is really about understanding the emotions of both of you and your partner in order to like understand one another's positions. Um, like just in reality, it's really intense. Like emotionally focused therapy is amazing and it does such good work, but it will make you so uncomfortable because it's forcing you to acknowledge everything that's there. And it's, it's good. I love it. Um, and then there is, the Gottman, Gottman method, which is a lot more like skill-based in developing tools to like understand and appreciate your partner and then how to like build a healthy relationship and all that goes into that. Um, so it's like really a strength-based perspective almost. Um, and then like I was talking about before, there's discernment counseling, which is like for people who are at their wits end and it's kind of like the last resort if you're gonna be together or not, so. Yeah. A lot more, but those are, those are just some. Yeah. Those are, I feel like those are the go-tos for a lot of counselors. Right mm -hmm. now. Well, right now, because I know like, you know, counseling kind of goes through like an evolution, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's always like different, like, I feel like Gottman was really big for a while. And then like EMT was really big for a while and they just all go through their waves, but yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank God for it. It's kind of like out. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part yes <laughs> yeah. so we already kind of talked about your stance on non-monogamy but let's reiterate it okay so my stance on non-monogamy is that I love it I myself um am actually not I I myself am monogamous um and I do share that up front with my clients if they ask because sometimes people do want to go to a therapist who has like the in-depth lived experience. Um, in all honesty, if my current relationship does not work out, I will probably um, go into non-monogamy because I, yeah, I just love it. I believe in it. It's great. Mm -hmm. But it can also help when working with like people who are moving into non-monogamy. Um, I don't know, to not feel like, like maybe if you're a couple and you're going to a therapist that you know is non-monogamous, then maybe you might feel like they're pushing like an agenda. I try really, really hard to always tell my clients that like, I do not choose if you are monogamous or non-monogamous, like you choose that. We're here to explore that for you. Yeah. That's a really, really, really good point because I feel like a lot of counselors don't, don't do that. Right. <laughs> yes. Very important. <laughs> very yeah. important to leave your shit at the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so how did you come to this epiphany of non-monogamy is like, it's, it's fine. And it's really just, you know, society standard, you know, love, <laughs> love is a feeling and monogamy is a rule. And you don't have to follow that rule as long as you and your partner have that understanding. I love that. I like, I like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I might steal that from you. <laughs> Thanks. 
<laughs> so yeah, like I said, I, like I myself am monogamous in my current relationship, but there have been times um, where I've dated very casually and I've always dated, you know, when I wasn't dating seriously, I was always of the of the sound mind of like, I want to be upfront and honest. Honesty is like my biggest thing. So there were plenty of times where I was dating multiple people, not very seriously, but like everyone knew that I was doing that. It wasn't like a secret. It wasn't something like that had to be a thing, you know? Um, but then when I started working in this field and opened myself up to say like, oh, I'm a therapist who works with sexuality, sexual interests, um, non-monogamy, it just kind of, it, it fell into my lap, non-monogamy. I really didn't expect, I didn't really expect that in my work. Um, I saw one person who identified as non-monogamous and then they told all of their friends and the community that we live in. And then all of a sudden, like I had all these like non-monogamous um, folks take up about like 30% of my caseload. So just, just between learning, like, yeah, just about like learning about it and all of my studies and then working with people who live it and embrace it. It was just like a real eye opener to me for like, who told us that relationships only can and have to look one way. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about the different types of non-monogamy that you've come encounter with. Sure. And just so like no one accuses me of like <laughs> plagiarizing, I'm basically taking these definitions and like rewording them a little bit. But I also just like totally want to flex on this book, which is called Polysecure by Jessica Fern. It's all about attachment trauma and consensual yes. non-monogamy. And I'm basically kind of just reiterating the definitions that she put down. So yeah, so everyone knows. <laughs> I'll link it in your in your web page. Yay. Perfect. Okay. So the first one, do you want me to go through all of them that she that she talks about? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Okay. So there's monogamish, which is, I guess, probably like me saying like I'm straight-ish, right? So yeah. these are people who are like emotionally and sexually um, exclusive, mainly with one person, but there are like certain exceptions to that rule. So maybe they have a rule where like we can have sex with other people when we're traveling apart or we can make out with other people when we're like at a party. So it's usually situations where the extra relational relationship is usually sexual and usually not happening very frequently. Mm -hmm. So polyfidelity, um, what some people can call a triad or however, however many people are involved, mm -hmm. uh, multiple people in a relationship with one, another, with one another, but then that relationship group is like closed to all other dating. So like one person can be dating two other people and maybe those two other people aren't necessarily dating, but they aren't dating anyone else. So it's a closed relationship. There's only three people and that's kind of it. Yes. Um, and then we have swinging, which like, I just, I just really love the swinging lifestyle. I think like, I did a podcast on it. Like, I think it was released in December, but it was not what I thought it was in the slightest. It was swinging and cuckolding. That was the topics. Yeah. It was oh not what I thought it was. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I would totally be down to be a swinger because it just sounds like so much, obviously so much like work, but like so much fun. Um, yeah. But so that's, when people tend to be very emotionally exclusive with their partner and, but a big part of their sexual play is with others but they're usually like doing it together in some context whether they're like at the same party or in the same room or like swapping partners with someone else there's this very like very much like yeah i want you to be sexual but like i want to be around when you're doing that this is an us thing that we do together not a thing that like we do apart yeah it's very 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 rule-based especially yes. 
parties and like there's a lot of lots and lots of checks and balances and yes. at least in the community that I was talking to it was very very interesting yeah absolutely and in terms of the people that I've worked with I've seen more kind of attachment wounds come from swinging because there are so many uh, it, I think personally it's because there's usually I would say like a lot of like alcohol and sometimes drug use involved. And I think that once those things come into play, then it's easier to, over, you know, like it's easier to overstep boundaries because you're not really all there. Right. So exactly. Um, okay. And then open marriages and relationships. So mm -hmm. a relationship where one or both partners are involved sexually or romantically or both with other people outside of the primary partnership. Um, but I think it tends to usually be like a little bit less emotionally focused and um, a little bit more sexually focused and the primary, primary relationship is still like priority. Yeah. Yeah. And then polyamory, which there are like so many umbrellas, like polyamory itself is just like an umbrella term now for all the things yeah, it that really is. <laughs> fall under it. It is so complex and I love it so much, but uh, like literally it means many loves. So mm -hmm. these are people who are having many consensual partners, both romantically and sexually, but every partner is aware of all of the others. There's like a huge communication network. Communication is so, so important with all of these, but I think especially with polyamory um, and the relationships do tend to be more focused on building, loving and like invested relationships. Yeah. Some people choose to do like the hierarchical polyamory. I can't ever say that word. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did, but <laughs> basically where there's like a ranking system of who gets priority and there's like veto powers and a primary partner, secondary partner, tertiary partner, all of that, mm -hmm. um, with the primary partner being the main relationship that sets the rules for like all the other partnerships. So yeah, polyamory also like has a lot of checks and balances sometimes too. Um, and I think that as a therapist, it's really important too to like really check the power differentials because it can it's so super involved, um, but those power differentials can really like cause harm down the line. Yeah, it can. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to balance. It's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, especially if there's like cohabitation and like children involved and all of that. So communication is just super, super important. Yeah, I feel like unless you're actually like legally married to like the person that you're like who is your primary partner or you're living with that one specific person, it's really hard to like make that very like fine line of like, this is my primary partner and these are all, all of my secondary partners. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And then I, I mean, I would imagine that it's hard to be a secondary or tertiary partner and then to be kind of like subject to the, to the veto powers and the different, you know, like it's, it's hard. It's, definitely a lot of communication involved and a lot of like honesty a lot of honesty about your feelings and where you stand and what you're needing and what you're wanting so mm -hmm. absolutely and then of course the non-hierarchical higher i can do it non-hierarchical polyamory so <laughs> multiple relationships without those levels and the rules and the ranking system so more equal base and safe for like everyone involved in the relationship everyone gets a say everyone gets a vote everyone gets a voice mm -hmm. And then we have solo polyamory, which I think gets a lot of unfair, <laughs> like people just say like, oh, you're just saying that so you can just like sleep with a bunch of people. And oh, you're like, just saying that because you're a player. No, not yeah, really. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so basically solo polyamory, um, 
is, yeah, where it's like more of a focus on like personal agency and um, they may not get involved with anyone who is like super entwined or already in a couple or anything like that. They're very autonomy focused and it's all about like freedom and the ability to choose and flexibility. And then like prioritizing the relationship with the self, like first and foremost, which like I can totally get behind. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, but still, yeah, identifying as polyamorous and doesn't mean that their relationships have to be any less intense or involved than anything else. So, um, and then relationship anarchy, which is, um, it just sounds like you're like ready for a revolution. Like relationship anarchy. <laughs> the first time I heard this, I was like, whoa, like, yeah, that's like, that's a way to describe something. Right. So, yeah. um, relationship anarchy is all about just like other forms of love and not really putting like romantic or sexual relationships above friendships or any, you know, you like hear the people, you, know, you hear people say like, oh, I haven't seen my best friend since she got in a relationship because now she spends a lot of time with her partner or anything. So these people truly believe that like all the people in our life should get attention and there shouldn't be like a primary attention source. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and all relationships can have whatever levels of romance or sex or friendship and that none of them have to come above the other. Yeah. Like really breaking down those like societal expectations of like what a relationship is and has to be, which I think is so badass. It really is. Like, it's yeah. 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 And especially like growing up in the South, it's something that like my mind is so like against, but I want to be so for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's you you were raised in the South? Yeah. Yeah. I was raised in the Midwest. So <laughs> totally, <Yeah. exactly. laughs> totally get it. It's like everything that my mind's just like, absolutely not. No, you bake a capsule <laughs> and you bring it to like a heterosexual couple and like, no, that's not what you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it truly felt like when I learned about non-monogamy, there was just like this like shattering in my brain of everything that like I always knew and just like expected. And then I was just all of a sudden like, no, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be who says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can have your cake and eat it <laughs> and you can get more cake if it runs out. It's fine. As long as everyone's consenting, go for yeah. it. And everybody can have a piece of the cake. As long as the cake wants the cake too. Like the cake wants <laughs> cake. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. There's so much cake. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And then we have poly intimates, which are like people who are sexually exclusive with one partner, but may not be emotionally, but maybe, um, sorry, may be emotionally engaged with other people in ways that like monogamous couples might find inappropriate or threatening or problematic. Mm-hmm. So they have like really close emotional ties with others. Um, and that it does not have to be sexual, but it like goes beyond what we would think of like as like friendship limits and boundaries. Yeah. Um, and I think this one's not talked about enough. And I've worked with so many people who really describe that, like, you know, my whole life, like I love having my partner and I love, I love what we have, but I've always just found myself being drawn to like these really deep relationships with other people. And it's not about sex. It's just about this like emotional piece. And when I like give them this word, it's like, like a whole new world for them of like, oh, there's like other people who feel this. And I'm not like, yeah, I'm not broken there. I'm not like working from this huge attachment wound. Like this is a thing that other people celebrate and do, you know? So yeah, power to the people. Yeah, honestly. And then we have 
polyamory for people who are asexual. So people who identify as asexual and aren't sexually interested in others, but still have romantic attractions and relationships with many people. Yeah. I feel like that one's overlooked a lot. It, I mean, I think asexual, asexuality overall is overlooked a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's coming from somebody who's like very like pro sex (laughs) and I have a habit of overlooking it. And like, I, that's a fault of my own. Yeah. Do you have any that I, that I, that I missed? No. And you thought of ones that like, I did not. (laughs) Well, again, (laughs) poly secure. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, um, we're, we're going to throw out some like hypotheticals for you. Oh goodness. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, Oh, I'm I'm off the clock. (laughs) So what advice do you have for couples who are seeking, who are going from like monogamous to non-monogamous? Okay. Number one, like I would definitely suggest getting a therapist who specializes in this. Yes. And they're both wanting to do it. Okay. So there's not like a, okay. Yeah. Um, I'll follow up with the other question in a second. Okay. Cause I'm I still probably going to put that in my answer because it's like so, so important, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely finding a therapist who specializes in this to help you navigate it at first, because like relationship wounds happen with both monogamy and non-monogamy, but a relationship wound that occurs while you're like trying to branch out, it can just have some like serious effects on the process. Um, so that would be my first suggestion. And then my second one would be to like do all of the reading that you can. Mm-hmm. And there are so many books and they bring up so many discussion points. And I encourage you to have those discussions, which is like, are we doing it because it's what we both want? Are we doing it because it's what one person wants? What type of non-monogamous relationship would we each want to have? You know, all these very important questions to consider. And once an experienced therapist can like help you through the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what advice do you have for people who have been um, non-monogamous for a long time? That's a really great question because I honestly often don't work with people who have been non-monogamous for a long time. Really? That I have people who have been non-monogamous for a really long time forget all the like rules that like they got into it. You know, they think that they're all like high and mighty and like, oh, we don't fuck up. Oh yes, oh, we do. <laughs> everyone fucks up in a relationship. Yeah, that's the part of life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ones that I do are still, yeah, are still learning new things about themselves in relation to others. So I would say it's probably like the same advice I'd offer anyone in any type of relationship, which is like keep allowing yourself to evolve and change and grow, and be super aware of complacency. <laughs> you know, like getting too comfortable and thinking that you know everything or have all the answers. Um, because complacency is like a real boner killer, you know, it's just like, or however we want to phrase that, but it's like destructive no matter what time. Oh yeah, no, it's fine. Boner killer is fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, just allow yourself to notice if you've gotten too comfortable, if you've gotten, yeah, just have those conversations with your partners and just really check in and see. I think when we get so comfortable in relationships and so complacent, we stop checking in and we could be totally unaware of how off we are (laughs) with our partners exactly yes absolutely what do you have for um people who or couples that are monogamous and one person wants to be non-monogamous and the other one mm, they're not too sure so this is honestly probably the dynamic that I work with the most and it is very difficult because people are coming to me because they love each other so, so much and they really want this relationship to work. 
and it's really hard. Again, I have to like really focus in with them of like, I am not, I'm not here to convince anyone of anything because you choose what relationship type you want to have. Like you get that choice. I don't make that choice for you, but it's sometimes, in the, sometimes inevitable working with couples who are doing this, where the one person who doesn't really want to be doing this can start to, it can start to feel like some tension, even in the therapy, because even though I'm saying that maybe part of them still feels like, oh, this person's making me do this thing that I really don't want to do, right? Um, Instead of really just looking at like, this may be a boundary for myself that I may have to let this relationship go, you know? So it's definitely about, I mean, it's definitely doable, um, but it's really about working through a lot of anxiety because a lot of anxiety comes anyways with opening up a relationship. You have to deal with a lot of looking at your own attachment wounds and seeing, you know, if there is, a certain amount of exposure to the anxiety that can make it go down to see if this is doable and livable for you. Um, but I would really, again, like get a professional, take it slow and figure it out together and be prepared that maybe the answer that you get at the end of that isn't what you necessarily wanted or, or were coming in for, right? That like maybe one of you is monogamous and maybe one of you isn't. Yeah. There's only so much someone can do with that. Yeah. How do you find a therapist that is um, pro non-monogamy. I, I mean, I guess I can't assume, but I would put <laughs> a pretty big bet that if you find like an asect therapist, um, that they are trained in working with non-monogamy. Gotcha. Oh, and I also want to clarify that I myself cannot call myself a sex therapist at this time. And I am on my way to getting asect um, certification, but I am not yet. I love that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, moving on, (laughs) uh, what advice do you have for single people who are polyamorous? Um, this one's hard because I really wish that there was like an ethical non-monogamous like dating service, like an online. I do too. too. Because as far as I know, there isn't one, right? No, there is not. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, you go on Tinder and if you see a guy who says like, oh, I'm polyamorous, like you're just, it's just not, it it could be received if you find the right people, but there's just so much stigma against that. Yeah, or you're like putting yourself up for being like hunted by unicorn hunters, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but obviously like on dating sites, you can always put it in your bio, but dating while polyamorous can be really hard in a monogamy driven like society and culture, you know? So a lot of people, again, just think it's like a word or an excuse to like not have to care about others in order to like sleep with whoever you want. But it's obviously so, so much more than that. Yeah. And I really, again, want to say that I think people who are non-monogamous are such badasses because monogamous relationships take a ton of work. And so obviously when you have multiple relationships of any kind, that's even more work to be done. And I don't think people really consider that, but like more relationships, can mean more fun, but it also means a ton more work, a ton more communication, a ton more like self-reflection, like all of it. Yes, it does. So (laughs) so I would say like saying from experience. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) it all. Yes, it does. I would say to like, just keep being true to yourself, be upfront and honest with people that you're trying to date. Please do not try to, you know, hide this because it's going to come out eventually. And that's going to go the way that's going to go. Um, but yeah, just try to be honest and genuine about who you are and why you choose to have the relationships that you have in order to connect with similar-minded people. Yeah, I love that. 
So let's talk about boundaries and non-monogamy because I feel like that's so so incredibly important. And especially when you're just starting out in non-monogamy, it's like you make all these boundaries and then you decide that there's more boundaries to be made or like, I mean, it's so, it's changing all the time. Safety behaviors everywhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So like let's, because it's a super rich topic. So I'm not even like totally sure where we want to go with it, but I can just like start talking. (laughs) Start talking. You're good. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Again, I think boundaries like totally depend on what type of non-monogamous relationship you're in. So like obviously a hierarchical polyamory relationship is probably going to have a lot more rules and boundaries in place than like relationship anarchy, which is the whole point is like to not have any. Right. (laughs) So, um, but I think for all of these relationship types, it's super important to understand like what you are and what you are not comfortable with process process that with like loved ones and helping professionals and live in congruence with your values so boundaries um boundaries are usually huge in working with couples who are trying to go into non-monogamy structure because obviously like often non-monogamous relationships trigger our attachment styles our insecurities our anxieties all of it so it's like super important to be aware of yourself and why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and understanding if it's an anxiety or like a trauma response that can be worked through, or if it's like honestly a boundary for you that's in alignment with your values and the type of relationship that like you're wanting. So it can be like a very thin line understanding our values and what we're truly wanting versus like anxiety responses. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just like me saying words. (laughs) (laughs) That's my two cents on boundaries. Yeah. And and like, I I guess I can talk about safety behaviors too, that like, yeah, when you start trying to be non-monogamous, those anxiety responses are going to come with safety behaviors. And I do, if the relationship calls for it. So if I am working with one person who is, is saying that they are non-monogamous and another person who's like, I don't really know, but I'll try this for you. Like, Okay, so if everyone here, if the end goal is to still be together and we're all okay with like taking the slow, then like we're gonna name the safety behaviors, we're gonna call them what they are, we're gonna allow them to exist for a little bit so everyone can get like comfy a little bit, and then we're gonna start pushing your anxieties just like slow exposure. Like it's okay, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna not feel good. But mm-hmm. then that leads us to see like, okay, once we expose ourselves, we, you know, okay, so you have all these boundaries, your partner can go on one date a month with someone else oh, you like freaked out while they were gone. Like, let's process that. Let's keep pushing it. Usually three or four months go by and then they're like, okay, I think we can go down to, I I think we can try like two times a month, right? So it's just like a slow exposure process, but it's really involved and it's (laughs) really intense. But if you're here for it, I'm here for it, so. Yeah. But it's important not to let the safety behaviors like fully exist in and of themselves just because anxiety is present, right? So like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because then, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> know what's yours to work on and like what is a boundary, a true boundary. Yeah, I love that. So in the pre-interview, I don't know if anybody knows that I do pre-interviews. <laughs> um you what? It's important to screen people. Yeah. Um, you brought up a really good scenario that I really wanted to talk about because I think, I mean, it's happened in so many polyamorous relationships that I know of. It's happened in my polyamorous relationship, but it's what if your partner or you yourself, you're getting more attention than your other partner. Like if you're getting texts coming in, if you're going on dates and your other partner isn't getting 
any like sexual um, partners or a love interest or whatever, or they're not getting asked out on a date or what have you. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So we're talking about, I, I had a different scenario. Well, I'm going to address that one too though. So <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> but you're talking about, okay. So like, um, uh, let's just say a couple has, uh, has an open relationship. And yeah. so the woman is off frequently dating and has other partners, sexual, non-se- non-sexual, whatever. But the, the, maybe the man is like not finding any of those. Sure. Okay. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that can be, that can be super hard. And, and that is something I have found to be kind of true that like when working with a, um, a hetero couple that the, the guy tends to have a little bit more trouble opening up because depending on the area, like I'm in, I'm in a liberal area. So that an average thing for hetero couple, like poly couples where the guy gets less, less attention and less, um, interest by other partners. Yes. So, but to be fair, like the couples that I'm thinking of were again, were new. And so they weren't like super involved in the local community of, um, non-monogamy, non-monogamy people. So they were really just like on dating apps and like going about it that way, which I just don't think dating apps are the way for, no, I think you really have to get involved with the local scene and the local culture. <laughs> it's like, you have to know people to like, you have to know all the other open people and they got a like, network. They, yeah. They're like likely also not on Tinder because they're getting like shit talked on Tinder. So, um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend to put yourself out there, get uncomfortable. Like the, my community throws, what do they call them? I think they call them like munches maybe, but it's like, it's like brunch for kinky people. Yeah. yeah. Munch for kinksters. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Munches for kinky people. Um, just go on FetLife, get to know your local community, meet new people. There's tons of Facebook groups, at least in my area for non-monogamous, non-monogamous people, poly people. Um, and that's probably the better way to go about it mm-hmm. is to really just get involved in the actual community around you. But in terms of like how to deal, you know, how to deal with your partner when they're getting more attention and you're feeling like neglected and sad. I was asking for myself, like. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the other part of the question of like, okay, so my partner's getting a lot more attention than I am. How do I like cope with that? Yeah, sure. That's a good question too. Yeah, go ahead. Um, So, I mean, obviously having that open communication with your partner, it's not necessarily our partners do not, and this is again why I love non-monogamy because like depending on one person to meet all of your needs, I think it's just like wild and really unfair. It's really so, unfair. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really unfair expectation and it's a lot of pressure and it's really heavy. So of course, like share your feelings with your partner and, you know, if you're needing more attention from them, ask just because you ask doesn't mean that they have to give. Right. But like, it should be considered at least I would think like a conversation of, you know, what to do. And then, yeah, again, just really trying to put yourself out there so that you can find more people, um, ask for your needs, your partner's going to do it or your partner's not going to do it, but that's kind of the best any of us can do in any circumstances. Right. Yeah. Express our feelings. Absolutely. Primary partners and uneven attention. So this tends to be more of a thing anyways, if you're like in a, in a hierarchical relationship or open relationship, 
Yeah. But again, the hard thing in life for any of us is that we can state our needs and our boundaries, but it doesn't always mean that it meets someone else's needs or boundaries. Um, and so you have to find a way to roll with that. And so if you, let's say like, if you want to see your secondary partner like twice a week, but your partner is only comfortable with once every other week because they want more of your attention and that feels like a need and boundary for them. <coughs> Sorry, I'm dying. <coughs> okay. Um, so then we have to come down to factors that like most couples have to work through, which is like, what are our feelings behind what we're wanting? Can we truly emotionally understand where the other partner is coming from? And am I willing to compromise? Mm -hmm. And if I am willing to compromise, I don't think resentment is talked enough about in relationships and it really should be because. Ooh, no, we can talk about resentment and jealousy too. Cause I, that's okay. like, it's a, topics. it's a, it's a part of relationships and we need to talk about them. So oh, hell yeah. um, I, I like to frame it to my clients. That like, if I'm willing to compromise, if we're willing to compromise, whose resentment potentially weighs more in a way that like could break this camel's back. And we need to be like really honest about that without making it like a weird ultimatum thing. Yeah. So like, does, does the one person not want their partner seeing their secondary, secondary partner more because it's causing them anxiety and like feelings of low self-worth or is it because of logistics, like having a child or is it because the partner truly needs more time with their partner? And mm -hmm. so if it's causing them anxiety and feelings of low self-worth, then the partner may be like, well, that kind of sounds like maybe something you could work on with someone, right? Like I hear you and I'm sorry that you're feeling that way, but that sounds like maybe something you need to process. And it sounds like a you problem. <laughs> like a you problem. <laughs> but you know, like putting that boundary up of like, this is something I can't necessarily fix for you. And it may just cause like looser boundaries down the line of every time you're feeling bad about yourself, then like I have to change my plans, right? Yeah. So learning how to feel better about yourself. Um, and then, yeah. So it's just like very complex. A lot goes into relationships of all kinds in terms of like motives and reasons and feelings and boundaries and safety and attachment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, so we'll talk about what? I hope that answered the question. No, it did. So, but let's talk it. I mean, you brought up a couple of really good points though. Let's talk about like resentment and jealousy though. Cause those are like two really, really important, like big emotions or, I mean, they're there, there's a lot to touch on with jealousy because it's a reaction. It's not like a core emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially in non-monogamy, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And it's something that like you have to work through. Yeah. Jealousy is one of those things that like, you're going to get, you're not going to get comfortable with it, but you are going to get <laughs> real familiar with it. Yeah. pretty fast. And I think it's always better for everyone to just like know that and understand it and lean into it because jealousy tells us something. Mm -hmm. All of our emotions tell us something about ourselves and where we're at. So like, am I feeling again, am I like, what is behind that? Am I feeling jealous because I'm comparing myself to someone else and that's creating feelings with, within me? Am I feeling jealous again, truly because I have a need and I really don't feel like it's being met and that makes me feel disrespected and it's all about really, really understanding our own processes and our own emotions and where those are coming from, because the motive, the intention matters, intention, intention matters. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, with resentment, like you definitely want to do everything. So I personally do work from, I work with a little bit of EFT and a little bit of Gottman, but I, I have more training in Gottman. So all of those like relationship skill builders are so super, super good for how to keep 
we, we do want to like prevent resentment from happening as much as we can, but I wouldn't venture to say that like resentment is impossible to like it, that resentment is possible to avoid in a relationship, right? Like mm -hmm. it's going to happen. So um, being aware of what's causing that, is it a power differential? Is it because I keep giving my power away? Oh my gosh. I want to nerd out. Do, will you, will you let me nerd out? Yes. Okay. So this is like one of my favorite things to do with clients. And I think it's an EFT exercise. I'm nobody can see me. So I'll try my best to verbally explain it. Okay. Okay. okay here we go. Okay. So with, when I'm working with couples, two people in the room, I will take a piece of paper and I will say, I will look at them each individually. And I will say this piece of paper represents something very important to you. It's not your relationship and it's not your kids, but it represents something very, very important personally to you. So I look at them both and say this, and then I say, okay, you take one end of this paper and the other person take the other end of this paper. You have to decide who gets this piece of paper and you can't rip it. You can't tear it. You can't share it. And so often it's crazy. It's crazy to me how often this happens. I will say, okay, um, decide. And one person immediately lets their side of the piece of paper go like without even like discussing what it is or what it, what it is to them, what it is to them. And so then I, then the question is like, okay, if we're always letting go of the piece of paper, what does that look like in our relationships long-term? Uh -huh. That looks like resentment, like a lot of it, because you just are just dropping the piece of paper. And you're not even talking about it. Right. Cause you just want to give so much to your partner and that's lovely and great, but you have to make sure that you have something to give. Yeah, seriously. There's so many statistics that I want to look up right now. Yeah. I <laughs> and goosebumps. <laughs> I do have a reaction to that because that's like one of my favorite activities to do because it's so interesting to see how people process that. Yeah. Now it's like going to be my new favorite party trick that everybody's going to end up in divorce now. <laughs> I mean, but it, it really leads to like really eye opening of like, oh, I am always letting go of the piece of paper in this relationship. And while in my mind, I'm thinking that that's like so lovely and heroic and giving of me, but like, also when I think about it, of all the times I've let go of the piece of paper, like I am angry about some of those things. Yeah, exactly. Even though you, even though you really didn't even ask me to, like, we didn't even have a conversation, right? Like the other partner didn't ask them to let go of it. They just did. And so it's like, it's just, it's, I love it. It's <laughs> a really good one. I'm kind of obsessed with that now. <laughs> Not mine. I didn't make it up. I don't know who did, but I read it. I think I read about it in like an EFT something. That's really awesome. <laughs> so yeah, resentment, jealousy, learn to roll with it, learn to sit with it, learn to really understand like all of this. It's all partner work and it all is involved, but so much of it is self-work of like really understanding yourself a lot. Yeah, a lot it is lot. like a deep, deep, deep dive inside yourself. Yes. And getting comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, which a lot of people already just like aren't like working on expanding our window of tolerance, right? Of like, how can we sit with discomfort? Because you're about to learn in non-monogamy. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And I think it's so good for that. I, I honestly, again, I think that like non-monogamy can be such a healing experience for people with attachment wounds if it's done, you know, if it's done therapeutically and in, I don't want to say like the right way, because that can look a million different ways. But if it's done in like a contained way, it can really actually, I think, heal attachment wounds as opposed to like creating them. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. Do you have any closing remarks? Um, I think my closing remarks would just be that like, if you've ever been interested in non-monogamy or really thought like, Hey, that's something I'd like to learn more about. And maybe I am, you know, that 
there are so many good resources out there. I would love to provide you, you know, with resources that you can link to your audience to learn more. But also please know that if you're monogamous, there's nothing wrong with that. You're totally fine. Like, again, everything exists on a spectrum and wherever you are on that spectrum is beautiful and wonderful and should be respected. So. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this with me tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The Nude Attitude, a podcast focusing on radical body acceptance and anti-slut shaming from a true hoe. If you want to interact with upcoming episodes, ask questions, or request topics, please find me on Instagram at the period nude period attitude and on Twitter at underscore nude underscore attitude and on my website, thenudeattitude.com. I'm Madeline Gregg. Hope you keep coming back for more.